On today's episode, we talk with our good buddy, Liz All. Welcome to episode 36 of The Chatbook. I'm your co-host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are the directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and occasionally full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to celebrate our love of chapbooks, to go behind the scenes of the publishing process, and to highlight the folks who write chapbooks and the folks who make chapbooks. Okay, Ross, when Liz All and I met, the world celebrated with a pair of international concerts that bridged the Atlantic Ocean called Live Aid. Did you know that? You guys were like 14 when you met, weren't you? <laughs> you were like we six. We have been alive forever. <laughs> I have been excited to have Liz come on to the podcast to talk about her experience with chat books, especially as someone who has published a number of them and as someone I know who has a great fondness for the format and a lot of thoughts and experiences with the ideas of chat books and zines and this sort of like liminal kind of container that can be used um, and that we've been talking about. Ah, that lovely ephemera. Noah, bio her up so we can bring her on. <laughs> Liz All is the author of two Seven Kitchens Press chapbooks, Home Economics and Talking About the Weather. She's also published the chapbook Luck through Pecan Grove Press and A Thirst That's Partly Mine, winner of the 2008 Slate Bring Hall Press chapbook contest. Her first full-length, Beating the Bounds, is published by Hobblebush Books, and her second full-length, A Case for Solace, is coming this fall from Lily Poetry Press. Her poems have appeared in a ton of literary journals, among them Prairie Schooner, Nimrod, and Crab Orchard Review. Her work has also been included in a number of anthologies, including This Assignment is So Gay, LGBTIQ Poets on the Art of Teaching, that came out from Sibling Rivalry in 2013, as well as COVID Spring, Granite State Pandemic Poems, also from Hobblebush Press from 2020. She has been awarded numerous writing residencies around the country and teaches writing at Plymouth State University in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Check the show notes for more details. Welcome the amazing Liz All. Thank you, Noah and Ross. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I don't, I don't think I've ever been on a podcast before. That was a 12-minute bio and didn't even scratch the surface of all the cool stuff that you have done, Liz. But I want to go way back. I want to start this episode way, way back. We have a little script, and I'm going immediately off script because you met Noah at a young writer's camp in, I'm, I'm going to guess, I don't know this, 1987. 85. No, 85. Is it 85? Yeah, it was 85. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, I used the Live Aid clue. Okay. So Liz, <laughs> our listeners love Noah. Dish the dirt on teenage Noah Stetzer. I believe this was this was for Central Catholic High School in Pittsburgh, where Noah was a young student. Oh my God. He, for his required book report, invented a book authored by someone named me. <laughs> And wrote a whole <laughs> fake right. book report. And I know this because he sent it to me. I feel like you sent me the copy that actually had a grade on it, which was like an A. I did. It's an entire <laughs> I did. fiction. I did. Yeah. It was junior That's year. That's there. <laughs> so that was your that. first published work. 
<laughs> right. That was her talk about a chat book. It was her first first published work. It was very ephemeral. Yeah. Right, right. Super ephemeral in, in as much as it was entirely non-existent. All right. So Noah, you get to return the favor. Dish on teenage Liz all. She's looking at us like, oh no, that wasn't part of the deal. No, see, Teenage Liz All, when I met Teenage Liz All, I was such a kid of the suburbs and Chef Boyardee and Town Talk Bread. And I just, I didn't, you know, I listened to like America's Top 40 from Casey Kasem. So Liz knew all of these bands that I didn't know that were cool, like the Violent Femmes. She, she was into stuff that was a little edgier in comparison to what I was, what I knew and what I liked. I just had this great fondness for this person who I really related to, who could also introduce me to all of these sort of new ideas and new experiences, music, uh, writers, that sort of thing. Well, Liz, we're so pumped to talk to you about chapbooks today. Maybe we could start here. Would you just talk to us a little bit about why you love chapbooks. You you said you were ready to talk spines and staples. <laughs> <laughs> when Noah emailed me to sort of prep for the, you know, sent the standard email, like here's some stuff we might talk about. The word artifact was one that he used. And so I went downstairs to the archive of artifacts. And this is the first chapbook I've made. And that's how I got into chapbooks was really by making them. Our listeners can't see it, so you got to describe what you're holding up. I'm holding up a hot pink cardstock, uh, <laughs> standard eight and a half by eleven, folded in half, printed on it in a what I thought was a spectacularly groovy font on my um, <laughs> my very first computer, which was one of those little Macs with the tiny window, the classic with the little tiny window. It's called "The Power of Barbie Poems" by Liz All, and. I made this because this was in 1994. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh in the MFA program at Pitt, and I was going to do a reading. And, you know, I was still a youth, but I knew enough to know that when you went to poetry readings, oftentimes after the readings, you could like buy a book or something. And I didn't have anything. <laughs> so I was like, I want something at my reading. And so I made these. And then on the back, I have a little text that says Ultima Obscura, 1994. I, I made up that name for the press because I, I was sort of poking fun at myself, like I'm the ultimate in obscurity. And, and so when I look at it, it's unstapled. This is unstapled because I took the staples out because I didn't even have a saddle stapler at the time. So it was actually so horrifyingly stapled on the side. So you couldn't open it all oh. the way properly. It was just hideous. It's the cardinal sin of chapbooks <laughs> oh stapling God. on the side and not having the long arm stapler. Put it, down, oh, Liz. put it down. I can't look at it anymore. <laughs> Take it away. So from the beginning for me, I have an association with the chapbook, with making it and with it being connected to an occasion, like connected to a reading, sort of like when you go to the theater and there's a program or like, so it's like sort of like a mm. souvenir and it's, and it's tied. Mm -hmm. So these were poems I was reading that night. And if you enjoyed them and wanted to, you know, have some to go to reappreciate later, then you could have this, which I put together to Kinko's and like, you know, it costs like a dollar if that to make. And I, you know, I paid for it and I charged people a dollar and I made 20 of them or something. I don't remember how many. 
And that was kind of it. And, and so I liked that. <laughs> I liked it. And it was like affordable and it was a decent serving size and it was connected to the reading. And I had fun making it, even though I had those embarrassing, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know, I didn't even know to ask Kinko's like, cause you could pay Kinko's to staple it properly. And I didn't, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I made another, my second chapbook was also affiliated with the reading. And at that point, I knew how to ask Kinko's to do a saddle staple. And I think after that, I bought my own saddle stapler. Oh. Then later I learned how to sew, a, you know, how to do the basic saddle stitch. And yeah, so I associate them in some way with the ephemeral, not just because they're like made of paper and not, you know, made to last in a certain kind of way, but, but connected with an occasion or an event and some kind of souvenir of an occasion or an event. Well, so Noah mentioned that you got him into cool music like the Violent Femmes, which was like sort of a great kind of punk band and making your own chapbooks for your own readings. Like that was very 90s punk, right? Like, <laughs> And that's how I got started was yeah, going yeah. over to Kinko's making zines in the 90s, having the best time. I'm like right there with you. Everything you're saying just takes me right back to the 90s when that was – to my mind, the coolest thing you could possibly do was like hit Kinko's, make stuff, get it out there. Oh, you're making me so happy here, Liz. <laughs> I did. There was a part of me like, I mean, I, I, I don't want to come off as more punk than I actually was like, cause I was aware like the other poets I go see read have a, like a fancier or a more finished or legit or whatever product. It didn't like, obviously it didn't stop me from doing this, but I think I was just like trying to make do with what I had. It's, it makes me happy to look back on it. This was all like, this was like talking about like your gateway drug. The two of you talking about your saddle <laughs> staplers is really funny to me. <laughs> and Liz, you've, you've sort of even, you've gone even deeper into this with letterpress. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So in Pittsburgh, I started making these chapbooks and then I went to do my PhD at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And there was a great book arts program or there had been a great book arts program and there would be again, it was kind of unpopular right then at Nebraska. And so I was like, I'm going to do, I want to learn how to set type. <laughs> so I'm going to do book arts as my collateral field. And the chair of the art department at the time, Joe Rufo was a book artist, which was very cool. So he basically saw me through this at the time, all of the graphic design students is a big art department. It's a really good art department, really good art museum on campus. They were just getting into computer aided graphic design. They were they were mm -hmm. not setting type. They were not, for the most part, doing that work. And so there was this huge letterpress studio with like three or four Vandercook presses that uh, that was like mine basically because no one else was using mm -hmm. it. All this type, all the furniture and everything. So yeah, I learned how to set type. Letterpress used to just be how you made a text. Right. Like I had a colleague who described to me when he was in high school, he's maybe 15, 20 years older than me. You could take wood shop, um, metal shop or print shop. Those were the three like Votech options. Right. It was not like fancy, effete people making wedding invitations. It was like wood shop or metal shop. It was very sort of you just do this so you get a job doing it. And there's something slow about setting type letter by letter, upside down in a composing stick that makes me think of the physical cutting and pasting, the making of a thing that I personally really enjoy. And as a reader or consumer of these objects, I like the feeling, I like the evidence of hands having been on the other side of it. 
the you know the the slight irregularities of 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 handset type and you know the dumb lines left over from my my bad scotch taping job on my first chapbook those are <laughs> evidence to me that that it makes me feel like an additional connection beyond like the content of the poems which of course is i think the most important thing that sense of a of a maker behind it and a kind of a uniqueness to that you know what's funny is I, there's been such a trade-off, right? Like the the digital chapbook, obviously, that's something we do at Bull City Press. And it's wonderful because it's endlessly replicable, right? And you can throw a spine on there, which allows you to do distribution. You can get it out so much more broadly that chapbooks that almost now occupy exactly the same space that was previously only available to full length. Do you feel like we've, you know, as we've gained that you feel like we've lost something with chapbooks? I I might say that except for the fact that that in there's there's always people out there making cool stuff. So like I'm looking now at a couple of chapbooks from um Ethel that are so like yep. this is thread. This is a sewing machine. I think that um there's room for both. <laughs> um and I think they scratch different itches. Uh, I love this one from Ethel that's called uh, Child Lucia and Other Library Fabula by Nick Perilli. And it's got a little, you know, library, the, the card that you used to have to sign that was in the little pocket in the library book uh, on the cover. Uh, but it's and it's stitched. And, and you kids hard for me to show you on the screen, but there's all these little look. I just pulled a thread out of it. <laughs> I'm looking at all these chapbooks on my dining room table right now, and there's super handmade ones, and there's super nice ones, and there's a spectrum, and I think there's a, I think it's like an endless spectrum. I think there's so much that can be done. I want to say something else um, that you mentioned. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned distribution, which to me is one of the most important concepts around a difference between different sort of kinds of chapbooks, right? Like my mother, who has not, you know, spent a lot of time in the publishing discourse, when I, when I was telling her about my book, after having published four chapbooks, she said, I really am quoting her, and she did not mean to be mean. She's like, so is this going to be a real book? And what she <laughs> means has nothing to do with the quality of the poems, I don't think. Um, but to her, what real means is, can I go to my bookstore and get it? Like, or can my can I brag to my friends about it and can they order it on Amazon? Seven Kitchens Press, you could not do those things. And so books and bookstores and sort of the mechanisms, certain mechanisms of distribution have historically made it more difficult to put something like these beautiful Ethel chapbooks out into the world where my mom, who doesn't want to buy anything on the internet, can get it. That is her definition of real. So distribution to me, like when we talk about getting published and like how it matters, like I think a lot of times what people, the anxieties and opportunities are all around distribution. You can make a chap, I can make a chapbook, you can make a chap, we can, everybody can make a chapbook, but like, who's going to read it? How do you get it to people? And, and for my reading, for my first chapbook, and I think people still do this, like, I got 25 copies. You came to my reading. Here you go. That was fun. Let's, all, let's move on now and do a different thing. 
there's nothing wrong with like wanting to keep a book in print too. That's not like moral, like not aesthetically inferior or something, but I just think there are different reasons and occasions. And I think all books are real, (laughs) but I understand what my mom meant even though she said it a little bluntly, sometimes my mom can be a little blunt. Um, so yeah, distribution of the beautiful things people are making is a point that's because that's access. Distribution is access, I think. And I find that sort of fascinating. Liz, I wonder if you would be so kind as to read something from one of your chat books. So I'm going to read you a poem that is not from one of my chapbooks. I did understand the invitation, but what I'm going to read you is from is coming out in the new book. It was originally published in Home Economics uh, from Seven Kitchens Press, mm-hmm. and it has been radically it has been cut in half. Ah. And the ending has changed. And so for me, one of the potential interesting things about chapbooks as being places where poems are published that then sometimes get published in, I was going to say real books to sort of wink at my mom, but in full, full length collections, which what the hell does that even mean anymore? <laughs> um, is that you can look, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable ab- about it, but like, there's going to be these two versions of my, I said not even two versions. They're like two different poems in, in the world. So I'm going to read you the new one. If people want to read the old one, they can go find home economics from seven kitchens press. I'm not even sure it's still in print and check it out. Um, So this, the newly, the old poem was called Rage Sale and the new one, the new version is called Everything Must Go. Bring up the damp liquor store boxes full of insults you swallowed and half conscious stored in the basement. Insults as shiny and cruel as third place bowling league trophies and you swallowed them all. Drag them from beneath the stairs out onto the lawn. What price for the traffic cutoffs, the taken-for-granteds, the horde of sore knuckles and ground-down molars, a dozen rusting Folgers cans filled to the brim? Let all the boxes be marked in earnest block lettering. Free. The shelves clean now, tremble in their emptiness, daring you to dismantle them. Oh, thank you so much. That's great. And I remember the original poem too. It's it's this really interesting way of thinking about work and, and it's, it's mutability maybe. I I don't know. Like, uh, it's so weird. It's just weird to think about these two different versions of the poem being in the world, but it's kind of exciting too. Yeah, it's fun to watch a poet grow in public. And that's what we get to do sometimes when we see a poem move from chapbook to full length and be radically revised. Everyone, thank you so much for listening with us today. If you've already subscribed to the chapbook, be sure to tell all your friends. Let them know we're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and all other major pod places and tell them to subscribe. And tell them to rate us five stars and you rate us five stars. You can send your ideas, your questions, your suggestions, or, you know, even a rant to chatbook at bullcitypress.com. The best way to find out what we're up to is to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bullcitypress or visit bullcitypress.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DC Noah. 
And you can find me off Twitter for at least a few more weeks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. And check the show notes for all the details. 